in to start your week. Hi guys, and welcome to episode six. (laughs) So this week we want to talk about the dark side of ABA, which would possibly be super controversial. So we're just going to put that out there. Everything that we're stating right now is either based on things that we've read that we will put in the description at the bottom as resources or things that we have experienced ourselves. So the last two weeks or so, I've been super in my head. Uh, Christina can attest to this. (laughs) Um, And I've actually spoke to my mentor last week about it. Just in regards to the way that I've been seeing ABA, quote unquote, being done and not keeping the client in mind. Either it's super repetitive or aversive or just not putting them first, not thinking how they feel. And I can't like so I've been questioning everything that I do because now at the forefront is am I doing this with the best interest of the client in mind? putting all my teachings or supervisions and things like that aside and honestly putting them first. And in doing that, I talked to Christina and I was like, I really think that we should talk about the dark side of ABA, which not a lot of people are aware of. And I agree. And yeah, um, Natalie and I have been talking about this and we thought it'd be a great topic uh, to bring to the podcast just because there are so many people that don't know about this other side of ABA that's being talked about, which is um, kind of like a dark side. And more and more every day, people are coming up on the internet saying that ABA is abusive. Traumatic. It's it's traumatic. um, And we just wanted to talk about it this week. So, well, kudos to you, one, for questioning things. I always believe in philosophic doubt that we should be questioning if we're doing the right thing. I mean, of course, collaborating with... um, other clinicians, which is ethically correct. Um, I talked about it in my ethics class this week. But now that we have been talking about it, just thinking back to some experience that we had Mm. um, as therapists in the field that now later on that we're analysts and we're older now, we're like, man, you know, I wish I would have said something back then. But luckily, we have the experience now to tell our supervisees, you know, I don't think this is in the best interest. And they're uncomfortable conversations to have. They are very tough conversations. And the thing is also, we're not saying there might be certain people who are doing this knowingly, Mm -hmm. but there are other people who are just doing what they've learned and been taught or have observed, and they think that they're doing ABA. Right. All of these things that you're hearing from parents reporting or self-advocates stating that they've experienced while in ABA, Right. that is not ABA. And that's what we want to bring awareness to, because if you're able to identify, oh, that's not ABA, then you can say hey, we're not supposed to be doing that, or I am not going to be doing that. Right. Hopefully, out of this podcast, though, it may be a controversial episode. It can bring light to things that are going on in the field of ABA, and things can we can help be the catalyst to change. A very small catalyst right now, but hopefully we'll get some people thinking about yeah. what they're doing. And dialogue. Talk about this with your friends and other people in the field and see how it is that they're doing it, or if they've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Luckily, if you haven't seen some of the things that we're about to talk about, that's amazing. Right. Unfortunately, I've experienced and have seen and have heard a lot of dark side to ABA. Yeah. So maybe we should dive into um, what exactly we're talking about. The yeah. Side. <laughs> um, well, maybe I should start with a Facebook group that a colleague of mine um, invited me to, or a page on Facebook, I should say. It's not a group. It's called ABA Reform. 
Um, I believe from what I saw is that it's self-advocates that uh, have autism or autistic pretty much talk about, um, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable because I'm an analyst. So things that happened in their past or past of their friends or, you know, um, peers that have been traumatic in ABA. So, I mean, let's just start from the beginning. ABA is a very uh, young field. And back in the day, you know, maybe it wasn't the best field or maybe we weren't doing a lot of things that we didn't know was going to be aversive that we do know now. Which so, is why now we have ethics and right. compliance code and everything else. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Okay, so from the start of ethics, there used to be like extreme trauma. Obviously, we're way past that now. But there are things still happening that could cause trauma to kids. I mean, um, I showed Natalie a meme today that was saying that um, uh, ABA is a full-time job for kids. And at first, you're like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But then you think about it, and like kids that have 35 hours a week, of ABA, that is a part-time job on top of their schooling, on top of other therapies they may have. And, you know, we do look at both sides, right? So ABA is a science we love and we know at the core of good ABA, good mean subjective, we need to operationally <laughs> define that, but the core of the correct ABA, I guess we should say. Evidence-based. Evidence-based mm-hmm. is, is positive. It does make changes. We are here to promote independence in, with our clients all around to just make a ripple effect in their life. Um, but there are some times that people have experiences where, you know, it, it was just not good. So let's define some of that. So when we're saying not good, because we've been talking about it for some time now, what we're saying is like not accepting no for an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Compliance training making them follow through, escape extinction, desensitization. Oh, I can never say the word. Desensitization. Yes. Yeah. Try to say that three times, y'all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, Not providing choices. Yes. Not allowing them to stim, like quiet mouth, be quiet, quiet hands. And this is when we're talking where it might be controversial because you hear this. Right. You hear it a lot. But like... Always think about, I. oh my goodness, you guys, like client first. Like, right. how would you feel if you were this child mm-hmm. at an area for getting services 30 hours a week where this person is just constantly placing demands, Right. does not care what you feel or think, and mm-hmm. it's just going to continue essentially to, to... Yeah, I mean, so I look at pros and cons, right? So pros, just in the hours stream, we know that more hours is going to help them. But cons is like, we need to make those hours be effective. Mm -hmm. So one thing what I do always, like looking back now, I wish somebody would have told me, and I told you this today, like I need to help uh, teach clients how to make choices. They go through the day where they are just like, you want this or this, this or this. Like, nope, you can't have this, you can't have this. And it's like, when I think of, just us as adults or just human beings. Like we are free to do what we want, you know, most of the time. And we are allowed to make choices. And we need to give that leeway to children we work with or just clients we work with, whether they're children, adults with uh, intellectual disability, things like that. Because we need to make sure that we're always having uh, client dignity, um, doing no harm and certain things like that. Because if not, we are kind of being traumatic causing harm harm. and at the end of the day you guys we should be their biggest advocates yeah it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the other way around and I get so emotional thinking about it because in the beginning I didn't know right and I could have caused trauma or harm 
And one of the situations that I could think of as a therapist with my first client was she engaged in vocal stereotypy. And one day I was getting supervised and we were about to leave. It was like 630. Mind you, she had school all day. And all of a sudden she started to script. And my analyst was like, nope, we're placing it on extinction. And she wanted us to repeat what she was saying. Mm -hmm. So we ignored her and ignored her and ignored her. And it got to the point where she started engaging in aggression, self-injury. She started grabbing anything in her environment to repeat what she wanted. And it got so uncomfortable to the point that the mom locked herself in the bathroom to cry. Right. Mm -hmm. And my supervisor's there. So I didn't. I morally, when I got home, I was like, that was so uncomfortable. We ended up leaving at eight o'clock at night Mm -hmm. to place that on extinction. Mm -hmm. And now looking back, I'm like, no one asked the mom if she was comfortable with that, if she was okay. And she's the client too. Yes. She's the client too. No one asked her. Right. Who, who were we benefiting in that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, now looking back, you're like, man, was that really the correct procedure? You know, what was the function of that scripting? Like, or stereotypy? What Mm -hmm. was... And I think about that now, too. And, you know, um, I did a CU with Central Reach. It was, um, I don't remember the full title, but it was pretty much like a trauma-free approach. Yeah, to ma- uh, and maintaining client dignity. Maintaining we'll we'll client add it on the bottom. Right. And that it talked about this term, ableist. Mm-hmm. Until, so I've been in the field at this point five years, and it was the first time I've heard the term ableist. And just... Uh, kind of summarizing what it means, it kind of means uh, being not so not advocating for your client in the way that you let them stim or engage in stimming behaviors, but telling them that they need to do quiet hands, they need to do no stereotypy, they just changing like their aspect. And I just want to say, um, in my opinion, you know, uh, we work with neurodiverse clients. Now, neurodiverse may be a new term to you as well, and that's great. I'm glad I'm saying this. But what that means is that neurodiversity is becoming more and more um, apparent, especially in our society today. And what we want to realize is, you know, that means just they their brain might be a little bit different, but that doesn't make them super different from us. So when I think of advocating for my clients, you know, we self-stim all day. I play with my hair, I tap my foot, I click a pen. But that's socially acceptable in our society, right? But flapping my hands, rocking back and forth, engaging in the same vocal stereotypy over and over, that's not accepted. So when I think of these things, it's like, okay, obviously that has a sensory function sometimes in different aspects, but it's um, automatically reinforcing. So in this area, I guess we should talk about like, you know, should I use this to teach a client? Like, you can't do this right now when you're learning at school, but you can do it on your break. Discrimination. Right. And it's like, with my clients, you know, am I teaching them to be, in quotation, you know, normal? Typical. Yeah. Am I teaching them to be whatever normal is? Or am I helping to teach them skills that's going to promote independence in their life and have a ripple effect with their immediate family, with their school setting, with their community setting? That's my goal. Yeah. So it's not... Am I supposed to be changing them for society or am I supposed to be teaching society how to be more acceptable? Am I supposed to be teaching acceptable behaviors to society to be more accept- accepting in for neurodiverse people? And I think that's the true thing we need to think about when we are being analysts and advocating for our clients and talking about the dark side of ABA because when we think back um a lot of people have a negative view of it they're locked in a room with a therapist for four hours and these people remember it as children and 
it makes me think like if I was a child and I remember being locked in with a therapist that I didn't like or I was doing things that I didn't like, like that is traumatic. And now I'm happy that I saw that because it makes me think as a, cl a clinician, like I never want to be that way. I want to make sure my client has choices. I want to make sure that they say, you know, if they say, nope, I don't want to do that. I want to do it later. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to say, nope, you need to do that now. And we're going to do five sets of cards and we're going to do this. It's like, am I really helping at that point? Am I promoting independence? Am I promoting a choice um, lifestyle? Like, you know, that's what I think about. Yeah, I think that was very well said. And I just really hope that this ignites passion and conversations mm -hmm. with others and that you guys are thinking about some of the things that you're doing when you're presenting it. Like, how is this beneficial to my client? Mm -hmm. How is it that providing specific praise after each thing that they do, who is that reinforcing for? Yeah. <laughs> because it's, if someone, every move that I make, praised me for it right you better believe that I'd be like can you not like <laughs> how is that natural yeah it and goes people back. see us as like you're training robots and I see how they can think that so yeah. just always please keep in mind like <laughs> I mean yeah it goes back to I think uh thankfully you know I have some supervisors that are most of my supervisors they say even with eye contact you know I had a supervisor that said well I'm on I'm, I'm really a shy person and I don't make eye contact all the time and I don't have a diagnosis of autism and that's true you know do they do we really need to make eye contact with people all the time but it's just you have to look in at society's behavior socially acceptable things and think about it too in the world you know maybe it's acceptable to not brush your hair or like do things like that and in another country that's not acceptable so the only thing I could say is I guess it, these conversations are going to be uncomfortable and sometimes it's really uncomfortable with parents too like sometimes parents are like nope I want them to do this and I have to be there for my client and say you know what well let's look at it from their side do you really think that if we're tired it's a long day do I really want to do that task maybe we could change the time and just collaborate from there like I'm really all about you know disseminating uh, behavior analysis and collaborating with parents I think if we just make everybody aware and we educate people on what we know and educate ourselves you know if we're wrong if if you think, you know, we need to talk about something else and you don't agree with us, reach out. Like, We'd love to have you as a guest. <laughs> yes, like let us know if you think, you know, it's not that we're saying that ABA is so dark and so negative because we know as clinicians that um, ABA can make so much positive change in a person's life. But it's up to us to be a catalyst for that change, to be the SD for that change, you know, and... If we don't do that, we're going to go over to a bad side. Uh, last thing that I kind of want to say is just like we always mention philosophic doubt, right? And question things. So we hear DTT a lot, but does DTT say that you have to perform it at a table? No, it's the style that we're teaching. So question that. Like you could do play based and still provide prompts, provide reinforcement and all these other things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like question it. And what is going to be the best for your client. We talk about it all the time that ABA is supposed to be an individualized. But if you're looking around and every therapist is doing the exact same thing with a client, is that really what's happening? Are we providing individualized therapy? No. Right. <sighs> what an episode. <laughs> we were so passionate this time. Yeah. <laughs> but I hope we get a lot of, you know, feedback again, like DM us. Yeah. Um, Comment if you've had any experiences where now looking back, you might have either witnessed, you know, something that was traumatic or aversive that now you're like, ooh, was that really ABA? We'd love to hear about it. You can rename, remain anonymous. Um, and yeah. We hope that this episode just, 
you know, doesn't look at a dark side of ABA, but helps create change and create Socratic methods and thinking of, you know, maybe I do need to change some things. And that's, you know, hopefully we became that catalyst for you. Uh, so thanks for listening to our sixth episode. Make sure to hit that subscribe button for a prompt next week for our new episode. Follow us at Onward Behavior on Instagram. Until next time, you guys, keep moving onward and pay it forward. <laughs>